This is a podcast from the Women's Conference Flourish 2012 held in Guernsey. Please feel free to listen to the other sessions. So without further ado, I'm just going to welcome Ariana Walker. Ariana Walker is Director of Mercy Ministries UK. And, you know, she was due to fly over in February, but due to the crazy fog that we had lasting three days, she couldn't make it. And at the time, I remember feeling so disappointed because, you know, we'd, we'd been really expectant as to what we was going to do. But, you know, in my disappointment, somebody said to me, they said, you've got to remember, Jem, that delays are not denials and that setbacks are set up for something greater. And, you know, I believe that today is going to be a great day. Thank you. Oh, do you know what? It's just amazing to be here. It's my first time in Guernsey. I did try before, really did. And this time I saw on Twitter, Peter uh, tweeted that the fog was back earlier this week, apparently. So I was starting to get ready to find myself a wetsuit and swim across. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just amazing. It's an amazing place this is. You, I'm from Bradford, so I, my overriding impression of here is it's so clean. Like, the streets are clean. <laughs> so, but uh, Bradford is a brilliant place too. But um, I don't know how many of you know about Mercy Ministries. Just put your hand up if you've already heard. Oh, hardly anybody. That's my favourite type of group of people. <laughs> so I get to tell you a little bit about Mercy. Uh, Mercy began nearly 30 years ago now in America by a woman called Nancy Alcon, who after about eight years of working in a secular environment, she'd worked in women's prisons and she'd worked for the social services in America. Uh, and she began to see that there was this cycle of destruction going on, uh, whereby uh, the girls that she was helping, because she wasn't able to share her faith, it's, in America it's the same as over here, the state and the kind of religion is separated. You can't share your faith with people at work if you're in a, in a position of authority there. So she wasn't able to share her faith at all and saw that this whole cycle kept going on where girls who were coming in, in, in the young women's prison, so they were there from 14 to 18 year olds, under 18s, they would leave after maybe a year of being on, on a program in the prison and would immediately go straight back into their old lifestyles. Pimps would be waiting for them, drug pushers would be waiting for them. All their old, all their old life would be waiting right there and they'd step right back into it and end up in the adult prison not long after that or some of them ended up committing suicide or dying in gang fights. And she began to see how futile it was when all you can give people is treatment and no transformation takes place. And so God began to speak to her through Isaiah 61, which is a very famous uh, passage, which is a passage we all love, about us being anointed as Christians to see the captives set free and to see the broken hearts healed. And so God laid on her just incredible sense of, co- of conviction that that scripture was given as a mandate to the church of Jesus Christ, not to the government agencies, not to well-meaning people. It was given to the church of Jesus Christ. And so she began a home, just one home, with a few girls to go on a Christian discipleship program, free of charge. There's three things that Mercy is built on. One, we do not charge any girl for any part of the program. Second is that we give 10% of, of all our unrestricted donations away to other churches and charities. And the third is that we don't take any government funding or any funding at all that's got strings attached that would make us have to dilute the message of the gospel. 
which actually is the craziest business plan in the world. Only God can make that happen. Don't charge your customers, give your money away, and don't take money that's handed on the plate if it's not exactly what you want to do. So it's crazy. And yet, for 30 years, not only has it worked, but it's grown. Now, there's four homes in the States, there's one in Canada, and, and six years ago, we were able to open the first home in the UK, up in Yorkshire, and it serves the whole of this country. And our heart as a ministry is to serve the church of the United Kingdom. We stand behind the church and we understand that you are reaching broken girls, that you are reaching into your communities, and that there's people who you are coming in contact with who are in your pews and in your youth groups who need to know that their, that their past is not their future, that they can find freedom and complete and total transformation through Jesus Christ. And our program is a six-month residential program where girls will go through um, a discipleship curriculum where they will, they will look at what's happened to them, what's happened to their life. It, basically, we teach them the tools of overcoming adversity. It's not that we say, you know, now that you're a Christian, your life's going to be perfect. You know, I know you've had a really hard, tough time, but, you know, everything's okay now because you've met Jesus. No, the fact is, life is life. Life happens to all of us. Every single one of us in this room, even if you were a Christian from the moment you took your first breath, you will have to get um, to understand how to overcome adversity and challenges. That is just the way our world is made up. But Jesus has made and given us everything we need to be overcomers and more than overcomers. And so what we do is we teach the girls the tools not just to overcome their past, but to equip them for their future. And they're just simple things, you know, renewing the mind, forgiveness, understanding generational patterns and how to pray through those and and become someone who sets a new course for their life. So there's all sorts of things in the mix. Let me read these two uh, little testimonies for you. This one's from a girl called Hannah. She says, I came to Mercy expecting to be punished for who I was and for the things I'd done. I was living a very deceptive life. Everything hidden was hidden under a mask. But at Mercy, I was not judged. I was loved, accepted, and given an amazing amount of grace. I learned how to feel safe with people. I found an intimate relationship with God and eventually gave him my heart. I worked through the deep hurts and found true joy. Before Mercy, I was hiding my issues behind masks. I was bulimic, I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was fearful, I was hopeless and I was a broken girl. But I came to Mercy and chose not to let those words define me. I chose life. I let go of the past and learned how to forgive. I let go of my bad habits and coping mechanisms. I saw myself differently as someone new and I knew I would never be the same again. And this one's from Amy. The only way I could effectively release the pain was through cutting myself. I hated life. I hated myself. I recall standing on the edge of the cliff top near to where I live, tears streaming down my face, staring down at the rocks below and believing that with one jump I could escape all of the pain. I had no peace, no hope, no hope, no joy, no life. At mercy, God gently removed the mask that I constantly hid behind, and he broke down the walls and barriers that I had built up to protect myself. The unconditional love of the mercy staff and their unfailing support and godly wisdom taught me that my past is not my future, but also that my past isn't a complete write-off, as it demonstrates God's almighty power to overcome anything and everything. God has literally taken my past and recycled it to shape my future. And I chose those two girls' stories because both of them talk about a a process they went through, which was to remove the masks that they were hiding behind. 
And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning because that's not just something for girls inside Mercy. So that's not something you do if you've had a traumatic life or whatever. Hiding behind masks and hiding ourselves is a normal human response. Um, and, it, and it goes way back, and I'll show you that in a moment. But I want to... Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen uh, a programme with Trini and Susanna in it. It's, it's off TV now, I believe, but it was called uh, What Not To Wear. Anybody remember seeing that? Right, for those of you, some of the younger ones are shaking their heads, going, oh, no idea what you're talking about. Okay, it was on TV a few years ago. It was these two women called Trini and Susanna. And they would, in the name of entertainment... Uh, take this poor woman who was depressed, who felt so horrible and bad about herself. She was dressing in big baggy men's clothes and trainers. Husband had left her, just lost her job, just awful situation in life. They would, instead of sitting her down and like normal human beings, talk to her and give her some advice and love and, and care and a cup of tea, she, they basically put her in front of a three-way mirror on national TV and stripped her down to her underwear and prodded and poked all her wobbly bits um, to try and help her overcome her low self-esteem. Her friends, by the way, nominated her for this program. I think she needs new friends, personally. However, when you watch the program, something incredible takes place. There's this moment where the courage that this woman has to take to actually stand in front of the mirror and face herself with all the things taken away, all the things she's hidden behind, stripped down, that is the moment that her transformation can begin. Until she's prepared to bear all, she can't move forward. She can't go anywhere towards the end of the program where honestly even without God the transformation that takes place inside this woman who suddenly feels better about herself because they've shown her how to wear proper bras you know the, the whole everything how to wear clothes that suit her body shape and they've just lifted her chin they said look this is this yes this is where you are right now but it's not where you have to stay and that, that moment of courage to dare to bear which is what this session is called dare to bear that is the beginning of a journey that takes that woman to a whole new place in her life. And I really believe that that is a starting point for many of us. We all have to get to a point where we dare to bear. Like I said, it goes way back. It goes way back to Adam and Eve. It was the first thing, the moment that sin and shame entered into the world, the human response was to hide. And if you look at Genesis 3, verse 8 to 10, the kind of context of it is that Adam and Eve had just eaten of the, of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And it says this, At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God will say to each of us, like he did to Adam and Eve, where are you? And it's not because he doesn't know where we are. God had, knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. He knew exactly what had happened. But you see, God it will only ever give us invitation. He will not barge in. He will not go stomping behind the bushes that Adam and Eve hid behind and throw them open and going, you naughty children, what did you do? He just, he just did the same thing he'd always done, which was walk through the garden and he just said, where are you? 
And, and we need to be like Adam and Eve, have the courage to come from behind what we're hiding behind and go, I'm here. You know, when you're lost, when you are on your way somewhere and you get lost on the way and you call a friend, what's the first thing they're going to ask you? Where are you? Because unless you can be real and open and honest about where your starting point is, then how you're going to get to where you're supposed to be is always going to be tainted by the fact that you didn't have the courage. to. So if you were to reply to your friend, well, actually, I'm, I'm so-and-so, and you know it's 50 miles closer to where you're supposed to be than you actually are because you're so embarrassed at how lost you really are that you didn't tell her that you've actually gone completely the wrong way. Then you tell her, well, I'm, I'm here, but you're not. Then, then the directions she's going to give you aren't going to make any sense to you because they're not from your starting point. So we have to give ourselves permission and each other permission to be real about where we actually are. And I believe that freedom and wholeness will only ever be ours if we're prepared to lay ourselves bare before God, if we're prepared to, to um, reveal ourselves, our true selves. You know, it's interesting to me that Adam and Eve actually hid their most intimate parts. It says they sewed fig leaves together and covered their nakedness. They covered the parts that they were most ashamed, their most intimate parts. And we do the same with our hearts, the, the, the darkest part of our hearts, the parts that we've never talked to anybody about, the parts that we're the most ashamed of, that is where we put the most fig leaves. That's where we cover ourselves up the most. And I, I love King David's attitude. Where in Psalm 139, and I'm going to read it from the message, so it, it sounds a bit different, but I love his heart and, and the passion with which he says these words. He says, God, investigate my life. Get all the facts firsthand. He says, I am an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. And then in verse 23, it says, Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. And what I love about David is that this was a man who had a lot to hide. And are you glad that your worst moment, your worst moment of shame and sin is not written in a book for all of eternity to read about? I am. But David's David's misdemeanors, David's adultery and murder and the way he responded to that situation are written in a book for everyone to read forevermore. And yet he has this heart that says, I know I'm not perfect. I know I've done stuff wrong. I know the stuff in me that is not right, that should not be there. But even so, I'm not presenting a perfect heart to you, God, but I'm, pres- I'm presenting an obedient heart, a willing heart, a humble heart. And that is what God asks from us. A heart that goes, okay, God, I know there's stuff in there. I know stuff's happened to me. I know I've done stuff. I know I've said stuff. But I'm not going to allow that to stop me giving you an access all areas path. And for me... I believe that the freedom that so many of us long for and we want to live life at a different level and constantly feel like we're held back is because we've 
put stuff over ourselves. We've put masks on our life and we've presented those masks to the world and to God. And then we're going through our life as not the real us. We're going through life in, in what we choose to present to people. And actually, again, I want to tell you, that is, again, a normal human thing to do. It's not, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's what we do as humans. It, there is a cycle called shame, fear, and control that operates. And it operated in Adam and Eve, where, where he said, I was afraid because of, I, I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid, fear, because I was naked, shame, so I hid, control. I'm afraid that you're going to see who I really am. I'm afraid that you're going to not approve of me. I'm afraid that I'm going to be rejected because of what I've done, because of who I am, because I'm a bad person, because I've been abused, because I have abused, because whatever the reason is. So the shame allows the fear, and then we decide we're going to do something about that. So I am going to control which bit of me I show you. I am going to control how close I let people get to me. I am going to make sure that everybody sees the part of me I want them to see, but nobody sees the bit that is underneath it all. And so I want to look at some of the masks I believe are the most common ones. And most of these, just so you know, I've got from my own list. This isn't, you know, I haven't read a book and gone, no, these are the masks people wear. No, no, I just went, these were the masks that God told me about. These are the ones that I had to come to a place where I was going to not, not hide behind these anymore. And some of them are masks that I've seen time and time and time again in the girls that we serve at Mercy Ministries. And I know that they are widespread amongst us all. And the first one I want to look at is perfectionism and success. that that kind of performance-driven behavior where the underlying feelings and thoughts behind it are I must not show weakness or failure or struggle of any kind because I'm a Christian. In fact, I'm not only a Christian, I'm a leader. I'm a small group leader. I'm a worship leader. I'm a, I have responsibilities. You know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I should not be dealing with these things anymore. There is expectations on me. There is um, people watching my life. And I need to present a good advert for Christianity. So therefore, I shan't show any of my doubts, my fears, the struggles I'm having, the issues in my marriage, the fact that my kids don't want to come to church anymore, the fact that we think we're gonna, he's going to lose his job, and we might have to have the house repossessed. Whatever's going on in life, we think that that is a bad reflection on Christianity, so therefore we hide it. I will show how strong we are. I'll show how perfect we are. I will do, I will do, I will do, I will perform, and I will prove to everybody that I can do this thing called life. And so we put a mask on, and we become very, very good at what we do. We become very good at impressing people with our goodness, with our works, with our ability to perfect ourselves, to work on ourselves. And, and we treat God a bit like um, a teacher who is marking us on our performance. And so we go to God and we say, okay, God, what is it that I need to do? What do I need to do to earn your approval, to earn your favor, to earn righteousness? So tell me what those things are, then I'll go and do them. And we think that God is giving us a list. You need to be more patient. You need to be kinder. You need to stop saying those things to so-and-so because they're really hurtful. You need to not shout at your kids anymore. You need to, you know. So we think God's got this list that he gives us that we go and do then, like good little pupils and students and children, and we go and do it everything. 
and, and kill ourselves to try and get it right. And then we go back to God, I haven't got it right yet, I haven't got it right yet. And God's like, no, 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 no. Go then, try again. Failed, failed, failed. And so we go through this cycle of shame again. I can't do it. I can't be the good person I'm supposed to be. I just can't. I don't have the patience. I don't have the love. I don't have the kindness. And so our life continues along that cycle. And I just love 2 Corinthians 12:9, when the Apostle Paul has this revelation because God has told him about his weaknesses. And each time it says, God said, my grace is all you need. My power, that is God's power, works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, says Paul, so that the power of Christ can work through me. And what's interesting to me is that those of us who wear this performance mask, this perfection mask, this I should have got it by now, I should have got it by now, I'm I'm not going to show them that I'm still struggling with this because they're just going to think I'm a total, complete failure. Those of us who do not allow any weakness or failure to enter our life and to enter our language and for people to see that, I'm not leaving any room for God. Because what we're thinking is that we are supposed to be the ones who make ourselves perfect. When in fact, it says that Jesus is working in us. He is the one. We're supposed to be be on his grace, in his grace, allowing his grace to carry us through life. Not, Not running around trying to make ourselves perfect. Weaknesses will always be on this side of heaven. Weaknesses are an absolute definite side of our humanity. And the sooner we deal with that and go, okay, I'm weak, I'm, I don't, I'm not very good at this bit, so God, I'm going to need you more and more and more. And, and to boast in our weaknesses and to, and to offer God an empty vessel to go, you got, God, that is the bit in me that I cannot do. I cannot do that without you. I need you. And God responds with all his heart to that. When he, can, when he sees a heart that goes, this heart is a mess, this life is a mess, or it's getting better, Lord, but this bit here, and God just goes, okay, let's get to work. You and me together. It's a partnership. You and the Holy Spirit together is an absolute winning team. The next one is victim. Victim mentality, a mask we wear over our life that's got victim written on it. And victim will say, that nothing ever works out for me. I always get disappointed. People will always let me down. I might as well not even try because I'll just get hurt. It works for everybody else but not for me. I've had too much stuff happen to me. I am too broken. I am too shattered. I am too, too, too. It's not going to be for me. And so there's two things that can happen with a person who really struggles to get out of victim mentality. One is that they become very... Um, have an entitlement thing about them. I've had bad life. I've had bad things happen to me. People have treated me bad. Life has treated me bad. So you all owe me a favour. You all owe me. You need to fix me. You need to pay for me. You need to look after me because it's everyone else's problem that I have had a bad life. God's let me down. People have let me down. And I'm angry about that. And so I'm going to walk around life with a chip on my shoulder and letting everybody know that you need to do something about the state of me because 
I've just had a terrible time. And so they become, there's an anger, an underlying aggression that comes with people who, have, who wear the victim mask. It becomes almost like um, a defense mechanism where, they can, where they're just angry all the time. It's very, very common. It's just, I have a right to be angry because of everything that's happened. And that's where entitlement comes in. The other thing that happens is people become very dependent on the care that they receive as a victim. So they like the fact that they have issues because it becomes an identity, it becomes a comfort. Because the church, especially, because we just want to help people, don't we? We want to help people. And so the minute we see someone who presents need, it sends all our little internal excitement buzzers going, ooh, someone needs this, someone needs that, let's go and help them, let's go and bake for them, let's go and take them to the doctors, let's take them, and it's good, it's good that we do that, we should do that, but what it can do is enable people to stay in that place of victim, because it's much, because if the church always, and people around them always do crisis response, always pick them up out of their crisis and carry them out of it, without ever teaching them how they got there in the first place and the steps they need to walk out of it, then all that's going to happen is people stay inside victim. Now what someone who's been a victim has to overcome is the fear that without who will they be without their issues. If all the people in their life are there because they've got need, then what happens if the need is there no longer? How are they going to become someone who who relates to people as who they really are? Because most victims don't know who they really are especially ones who've been victims for many, many, many years. They don't know who they really are. They don't feel safe to be who they really are. And so it's much easier to stay the victim. But as a church, we need to be really aware that that's where people can come from and then be very clear about how we help people and not just always do crisis response because we make it harder for people to drop that mask of victim. Another mask, and this was a big one for me, And I know it will be a big one for some of you in this room, um, because God's already told me that. And this one is inadequacy. Every single person that I know in the Bible who God used for great and mighty things was wearing this mask when God came knocking on their door. They gave God... See, what happens with inadequacy as a mask, it becomes the reason why God should not use our life. Because we are not good at whatever he's asking us to do. So it's a false identity, a mask that covers our face and keeps God from being able to use us. So you look at Moses. When God came and said, I need you to go and do this, to go and speak to Pharaoh, the the first thing Moses is like, I can't speak. Who ever heard Gareth Gates in the early days? Um, Again, we're going back a few years. Gareth Gates, when he first got on TV and he had to talk it was painful painful to hear him speak because he couldn't get the words out Moses was like that can you imagine the absurdity of a God who would pick a man who cannot speak to go and speak to the most powerful force in the world at the time but, and, and, and Moses so Moses had every reason to go you've got the wrong person I can't do that you know but God, that God was not deterred by Moses' inability or his inadequacy to fulfill the task that God had given him. If you look at Gideon, Gideon, I imagine, looked a bit like the man from the um, Mr. Muscle adverts, the old ones, where it was this little weedy, eight and a half stone guy with little skinny arms, and he's doing the Mr. Muscle things. I imagine Gideon looked a bit like that. And, and, the, and the angel of God came and said, mighty warrior. 
And Gideon's like, I love you, look for me. Like, seriously, you, you need to go over there where, where the big guys are, but I am like the littlest of the littlest of the weakest clan. I am no mighty warrior. And all the things you have got planned, Lord, they are not for me. You need to go find someone. Do you know that Reinhard Bonke, he was the third, God told him he was the third person that the Holy Spirit had gone to to ask to give the commission to go and see people saved. I think it was a minus to plus campaign that he did. And, he, and, and God said to him, you are the third person I'm asking. I can tell you now that the first two people were wearing inadequacy masks. They'll have gone, God, I can't do that. I, I, there is no way I can do that. I love that, like Saul, King Saul, when, he, when it came for his time to be anointed as king, he was hiding in the baggage. And so many, we all, we, we do that. God says, I want you to go and speak to that person. I want you to go knock on your neighbor's door and see if she needs any help with her. Ooh, I want to go, oh, that person over there, she's been, she's new at church. Go give her a hug. Oh, you know, and we have all these things that go through our heads of, of, of our own inadequacy to do stuff. I don't, whatever it might be for you. We come up with reasons why we are not the right person. And, and I've done it myself and still do it and still have to talk to myself. Because what's happening inside you, if you are using inadequacy as a reason not to do something, it's because you're looking to yourself to fulfill the, the call. And this is, what, this, is what, this is a little paragraph that I found in a book that totally transformed me. I got it. I had a revelation that I was wearing the mask called inadequacy and I decided that day to drop it. And this is what it said. You are small. I'm like, yep, God, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But you must learn to abide in his presence without looking at yourself. You will always be inadequate. You will always be unworthy for what he calls you to do. But it will never be your adequacy or worthiness that causes him to use you. You must not look to your inadequacy, but look to his adequacy. You must stop looking at your own unworthiness and look to his righteousness. When you are used, it's because of who he is, not because of who you are. And and I realized that actually pride, pride was saying that I should be the one to fulfill that. So God said, I want you to do this. I want you to start, I want you to get involved with Mercy Ministries. I've been involved with Mercy in the UK from the very day it started. And I can tell you now, every single day I feel out of my depth. I have lost sight of the shore. I am so far out of my comfort zone. And you just think, God, literally, I have nothing to grab hold of. People go to university for years to learn how to do this. And, you know, why? Why me? And the fact is, God delights in using people who the world would say you could never do that. That is the very reason. He he on purposely looks for the least likely candidates. Because he expects his glory to be shown. He expects that fact that people will look back and go, well, no person can do that. That's impossible. That's why I love the fact that we are growing as an organization, even though we have to raise three quarters of a million pounds a year to do it, with no qualified people on staff to raise money. We have not one qualified fundraiser. We're just people raising money we we don't even we don't get money from all the usual places that people get money from because because of our faith-based element so we have to be really creative and god delights in it because all he needs us to do is keep raising our faith levels we don't have to have the clever strategies we have got clever strategies but they're not the things that bring the money in it's the fact that we just go to god god you have taken us so far away from anything we know you have to do this you have to be the one who comes through on this we have no plan b 
And so we have to be daring to step over that and drop that mask. There's, there's a few more. I won't go into so much detail because I haven't got time. But there's independence. I must make it on my own. People have hurt me. People have let me down. You can't trust anybody except yourself. You can't even trust God because, you know, sometimes he comes through and sometimes he doesn't. So, therefore, the only person I can rely on is me. I will never trust anyone again. This thing called life, I will do it on my own. I might let you think that you're with me. I might let you um, be my friend, but only on my terms. I will do this. I don't need you. I don't need anyone. It's me, myself, and I. And that becomes a defense mechanism that stops anyone getting in, but it stops God getting in too. And you end up being very alone on the inside because you're too scared to let anyone in. A lively personality, the life and soul of the party, the bigger than, the bigger than life character. Some of us are naturally like that, but some people are using that as a way to, to, to get people not to look deeper, to be all happy and glad and smiley. And, but underneath there's a, sad, a sadness, a great sadness that they don't let anybody see. Sarcasm, that kind of quick wit, using it as a defense mechanism to get the attention away from you. Busyness, oh my gosh, in church life, this is a classic mask. Martha wore it. Martha, busy, busy, busy in the kitchen, busy, 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 when when Mary is at Jesus' feet, being Mary, and allowing Jesus to pour into her, and to speak to her heart, and to grow her, and to challenge her, and to and be intimate with her. And Mary's like, I'm busy, I'm busy, because these things need doing, the chairs need putting out, the tea needs making, the bookshop needs manning, the, you know, so we get very, very busy in the life of the church, and all the while, inside ourselves, we're going, don't speak to me, don't speak to me, God, I know I'm supposed to deal with that, but I can't go there, I can't go there, I don't want to talk about that, that's too painful, you know, I don't want to, I don't even want to look at it, so I'm just going to be busy myself and so we use busyness as a mask to prevent God getting close and people getting close so we've got to understand that these things there is no condemnation like if you're sitting here and you're going oh my gosh I've got all of them you know welcome to the club it's not this isn't oh you bad person this is understand that the enemy has a strategy here that if you do not do anything about that, then you will forever live your life at arm's length from people and from God. That there'll be areas that you will limit, you will limit the growth that you can have in your life, limit the impact that you can have, because you're not being who God has called you to be. You know, I love the fact that um, Queen Esther, she had this incredible life, this royal facade, this mask that she wore of her position and her title and her role in the kingdom. She was a queen. But underneath that mask of royalty, underneath that mask of beauty, underneath the mask of position and influence, was an orphan girl from a Jewish community, from an exiled community. She, wasn't, she was a refugee, basically. And actually, if you were going to put it in today's terms, she was trafficked. She was trafficked. She was a refugee in a foreign country with no parents and soldiers came and took her without her any choice about it. And she became no more than a sex slave to a king. And yet all of that was behind a mask of beauty and behind a mask of influence and power and royalty until the moment God said, I need you to be who you are. You cannot deny your past any longer. You cannot um, pretend and, and put the, you know, the mask kept her safe for a long time. And some of you in this room, you know that the mask kept you safe for a long time. 
But there will come a time in your journey, and I hope for you today, that is today, where you know it's time to be who you are. It's time to drop that mask. It's time to just go, okay, God, whatever you've got next, I'm going to embrace it. And if it means I have to drop the mask like Esther did, the first, her first response was fear. It took her three days to get her head around the fact that she would need to drop her mask and be who she was and, come and tell the king who she, where she came from and what her past was. And I love the fact that she had the courage to do it. And because of her courage, because she said, okay, God, use me. If I perish, I perish. I've got nothing to lose other than missing my destiny. I don't want to do that. And because of that, because of her courage, an entire nation was saved. And, 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 and I really believe that there's people on the other side of your decision to drop a mask today. There are other people who are waiting to see who you really are. Not because they think you're faking it, but because when you become who you really are, that will resonate so powerfully with them that they too will have that permission and that encouragement to become their true selves. You know, when I had my two children, I um, had them by cesarean section because my first one was 10 pounds and the second one was 8, 11 and he was three weeks early. So I grow big babies. So they had to pretty much cut them out of me. And uh, the thing about cesarean is that you, you do not get to hide. Well, any kind of childbirth, you don't get to hide. You have to strip everything away. And so you, you can't go in all covered up and hidden and shamed. You, ha- you, you, have, to, you have to dare to bear. And, and I know firsthand how frightening and how painful operations can be. But if I hadn't have put myself on that operating table and trusted a woman with a scalpel to cut me open and to pull new life out of me, then, I would, then that new life would have died inside me and I would have died too. That is, that is the truth of the matter. And the same goes for us spiritually. If we choose not to get on God's operating table, to allow him to be the incredible heart surgeon that he is, to take his scalpel and to cut away those things that need to be cut away, it says in the word that he prunes the fruitful and the unfruitful, just prunes things away, just get that off your life, get that off your life, look at that attitude, get that thought process sorted, and he just shapes and moulds and changes us. If we allow him to do that, I can promise you, out of that process will come a whole new life. You will give birth to something that will come alive inside of you that you never thought possible. You will love like you never thought you could love. It will awaken a whole side of you that you never thought could be awakened. And you will give birth to something that will become its own thing. That is how... Miracles happen where people's lives start impacting wider than their own life is when they allow God to take them through a process of refining and redeeming. And so we have to have courage to do that. But you see, revelation isn't transformation. Me telling you all this isn't going to change anything for you. It might make you realize that you've got masks, but what's going to change for you is if you do something about it. Doing something about it is what changes things. And this is what I want to do in closing. I want to give us an opportunity today to follow through. Because sometimes when your spirit has said yes, and you know in your heart that you need to respond, that there's something that you need to, 
that you agree with and you want to go ahead with, then if you don't make a moment out of that, then you can walk out of these doors and go back to your life and remember a year from now what a great time we had at Flourish. But it doesn't stick. It just becomes a revelation, but there's no transformation attached to it. So what we're going to do in a moment, I'm going to ask the guys at the back to, to play a song, not yet, but in a minute. And what, and what we're going to do is we're going to take a pen, you all need to be finding pens, and a piece of paper, and I know Jem's been great because she's actually put pens in your little pack, and you're going to ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything that you need to lay down today. And we're going to be brave, going to be Esther's, and we're going to do something. We're going to, when you're ready, and when the song's playing, you just write down the mass that you need to and want to deal with today. And you're going to come and put them in a bin. I'm going to move this out of the way. This is really heavy. Like, it's only plastic. Oh, it's all right, it's good for me. <laughs> I'm going to put this big bin. Now, just so you know, okay, this is very important. This is not a magic bin. Okay, this bin does not transform your life. Neither does writing some words on a piece of paper and throwing them in this bin. That again isn't what the transformation is. All that is doing is it's creating for you a moment, a memory, an anchor, is what the psychologists would call it, for you to actually be able to anchor a memory on so that when you come out of here and you've got, and the Holy Spirit, because he's going to be in partnership with you now, because you've made an agreement to drop the mask of let's say inadequacy so the next time that you know that God's asking you to step out of your comfort zone and you go no I can't do that you'll hear the Holy Spirit go I thought you put that mask down and he'll take you back to this moment of you putting the piece of paper in a green bin and you'll remember and you'll go yeah I did and then you'll have a choice to make whether you're going to stick with that decision but it really helps to make your body follow through with something your spirit's decided to do so when you're ready we're all going to stand up everybody stand you can write and stand at the same time that's fine we're going to play the song the song is about five minutes long and you just need to come whenever you are ready don't wait for your friend don't wait for your leader don't wait for anybody you're just going to when the song plays you're just going to when you're ready this is between you and God and just before we do it I'm going to pray Father I just want to thank you for this opportunity this morning Holy Spirit I invite you here right now Lord, I pray that every heart in this room will hear your whisper. Father, I pray that every heart, even those that are the most defended, the hearts that are like fortresses in here that have got defense after defense, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to melt them. I pray the Holy Spirit would breathe on them. Father, I pray that hearts would be softened towards your voice. Lord, I pray that courage would come. Courage to rise up. Courage to leave the past behind. Courage to embrace a new future with you. Father, I pray new seasons of fruitfulness into every heart that's responding today. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now, after that powerful, powerful, amazing session, we choose to leave our, our masks at your feet. And we just ask that we will get a real sense of how you see us. I pray that every woman in this place will see themselves as we see them. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Women's Conference 2012. Please feel free to listen to the other sessions.